Hey, this is Jonathan. And this is Kathy. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Dose, Dose of Dash podcast. podcast. Join us and our guests as we bring you news and insights, information on project milestones and upcoming tasks, and as we celebrate the wins and accomplishments all along the way. Thank you for joining us as we dash toward the future at the University of Tennessee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Blake Reagan about travel policy changes here at UT. As a recap, we ended part one talking about goals that are in place to make the travel process faster and easier, including streamlining exceptions and making travel policy as lean as possible. So Blake, this all sounds great so far. I mean, we're talking about fewer exceptions, speeding up processing. It's all good news. What are some other changes that are coming up to improve this whole travel process? Yeah, so so let's talk about sort of per diem reimbursements for for um, you know traveling costs that the, the travelers incur, and okay. mo- most commonly people think about that as food money. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And the current policy states that. If a third party or the university or, you know, if, if the conference, for example, is paying for uh, or a meal and they uh-huh. provide, let's say, a breakfast or if you're at a Hampton Inn and they have the, the waffle machine sure. or the eggs or whatever. <laughs> the cold eggs. Or the cold eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Although I like Sweet their waffles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, then you have to deduct in concur uh, per policy, you have to deduct the provided breakfast. Okay. In the new policy, once it's published, then I think folks will be really excited about this one as well. Generally, the university will allow people to claim per diem, even if a hotel provides a meal, even if the conference provides a meal. And I, th- I think that's really wonderful. And it is. I-, I know there's folks out there that have dietary restrictions and, and other sure. things and wow. they're not able to eat the food. The one really important point, and this will be well stated in the policy, but if the university is hosting a conference and the university is providing the food, there we don't allow double dipping, and so we sure, really okay. wanted to make the the policy much more user friendly. But if the university is hosting that conference and they're providing, let's say, a pizza lunch, you have to deduct your lunch. But if you're going to the National Association of Policy Writers or whatever conference, <laughs> and and I, technical I won't writer, be. right, I yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, technical publishing committee, right? Yeah, not not many folks would be going to that conference. <laughs> you go right um, ahead. But but there is actually a national organization for policy officials. But Yes, meeting in Baltimore yeah. this year. But um, so if they're if they're providing <laughs> the pizza lunch uh, at a, at one of the days of the conference, you no longer have to deduct that from your per diem claim. And one thing that that is really really nice about that. So we talk about I, I have a Lean Six Sigma background, and I have a quote unquote green belt. It's on a martial arts thing. Yeah. It's this. Well, it's what the Lean uh, community designates their various levels of training by by various colors of belts. And I have a green belt in Lean Six Sigma, and so you, you always want to think about downstream consequences, how one step sort of affects the next. Why are we doing certain things? And so with this change to to the um, per diem. What will happen is, is that folks will still have to provide in the, uh, under the new policy and procedures, they will still have to provide information relating to a conference to show the start date, the end date, the conference rate of the hotel, that kind of thing. 
but that's usually easily available on websites. Folks will no longer have to keep up with those agendas. And that's one of the biggest complaints Mm -hmm. from the traveler community was that you would have to like keep up often just paper and you would have to take it and bring it back with you. And you know, my plane left earlier and I couldn't have the lunch. I got to keep up with all this stuff. You won't have to go to that level of detail anymore. So that, that will reduce, I'm not going to say eliminate, but reduce a burden on the travelers and it will sort of make life a lot easier for everyone. And, And as we all know, you know, some of the, I've been to, one conference that the food was amazing it was far better than anything i would have ever bought myself but um that's rare you know often the food is uh is not great so folks will be able to sort of uh, rest assured that they're going to have that that per diem reimbursement and if they wanted to skip the 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 lunchtime session at a conference to go eat lunch that they actually wanted to consume then they'll be able to do that i think that's absolutely awesome i've got a funny story to tell when i'm sitting here listening to you tell this uh I actually did go to a conference this year at the end of February. And it's uh, kind of like you said, Blake, it's the first time I've traveled in forever. And uh, it was like prepackaged sandwich, lunch, whatever. And I opened, I opened the box that came in and a fly flew out of it. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to walk to Starbucks. And yeah. Drink. Thank you. I don't have much of an appetite I'll right pass. now. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I like the idea of getting to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's- uh, so Blake, uh, question about international trips. I go on nuns of those, but I know some <laughs> people, I know some people listening probably do. Mm-hmm. So why are international trips, particularly subject to additional procedures. Definitely. So uh, as you noted, Jonathan, there are different procedures. And as we talked about a few minutes ago, those domestic trips will no longer require a travel authorization or a travel request. However, those will still be required for international travel. There's a couple of different reasons. One of them is, just to sort of cut to the chase, is a federal regulation related to international research security. And it was, I believe, from an executive order from the previous presidential administration in the White House, and then also the current administration has renewed that order. And so there are some some specific guidelines and such that the federal government requires. And then there's also this concept, and I don't know too much about it, but I know that there's this concept of sort of a a duty to alert the traveler of if they're booking a trip to a, you know, a particularly dangerous area of the world, for example, sure. just to make sure that the person is sort of um, familiar with what they're getting themselves into. And so to make sure that, that um, uh, the university is aware of where folks are internationally, that they're, they're um, operating under that duty of care and that we're compliant with all the particular federal regulations related to international travel, then in the new policy, it, it, it states a couple of things related to international travel, like OCONUS and, and things like that. But in terms of these particulars about international research security and some um, specifics about international travel, then the policy requires each uh, campus or institute to issue its own procedure that will set forth sort of additional things that the traveler will have to to comply with when they want to travel internationally. So it sounds like there's a lot of changes being made. What is it that allows UT to make all of these changes to travel policy? Yeah, I was actually wondering that earlier. I was like, this is awesome. And, Where did this come from? Yeah, it seems like it <laughs> kind of came out of nowhere. You know, this other pop, this 38 pages has been in place for quite some time. So all of a sudden, why is it we, we can make all these changes? So, Kathy, that's a great question. The reason is because in Tennessee, the laws, the state laws that govern travel, 
for for the university there really aren't that many and then those will be listed in the policy there there's a few i don't want to pretend that i remember all of them um sort of by memory but <laughs> there in essence the the biggest one that that comes to mind is and this will still apply in the new policy there's a specific state statute that prohibits higher ed employees and, and fa including faculty from utilizing any airfare other than coach class and okay. some some airlines don't even have coach as a name so like southwest airlines yeah, yeah, is my right. favorite my favorite airline and they have sort of uh, want to get away fares or whatever so so yep. coach class airfare is the cheapest airfare available and and actually as as we're talking about southwest the new travel policy and the procedures for most university employees uh, in most locations will have a choice now of airports from which they can depart so folks in the Knoxville area, they can fly out of McGee Tyson if they would like. Mm. They can fly out of Atlanta or out of Nashville. Wow. And that doesn't th that will no longer require a comparison quote. Oh wow. Of course, department heads and, and supervisors can still they, they can still sort of require employees to, you know, they still have authority and, and um they could require an employee to uh, get a comparison if they wanted to, but we know that it's much more efficient sometimes in, in a lot of yeah. ways it's more inexpensive to fly yeah, out of nashville yeah, or atlanta so so um employees in memphis and in nashville are were limited to those airports respectively because those are major international airports the employees located in other duty stations will have multiple um, options that they can fly out of and again we're just sort of acknowledging that we'll can make in a lot of ways travel uh, just a little bit better of an experience yeah it's hard to get a direct flight out of out of mickey tyson i think we have a yes, very nice is. airport but you, you know you, love our airport, you, you, you might you might have to yes. stop the five places right so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. and sometimes you're going the opposite direction that you ultimately need to go yeah, yes here's my, here's my favorite story about that i was helping my, i had to go to memphis to help my sister and brother-in-law moved back i was going out there to help them so to get to memphis i flew from knoxville to atlanta to charlotte uh -huh. to memphis yeah so that was, my, that was <laughs> right that was the cheapest it was i it was like 300 dollars cheaper than flying from knoxville to memphis wow I, I, what in the world yeah i never forget that i have a similar story i flew from um knoxville to tampa to I believe Phoenix back to like Miami or something. I mean, it was absurd. So yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you fly back over the city, right? You know, you've already flown over. That's right. not good. Yeah. There's a particular airline we fly on pretty regularly, and to get say to Florida, you go to Houston first, or Dulles, or Chicago, and eventually make your way down there. So honestly, that's great news though that there's a little bit more flexibility now. With it, selecting your flight or your airport definitely so so other than that uh, restriction on that were required by state law to use coach class or equivalent airfare and there's a couple of other laws that, that are going to be mentioned in the policy outside of those um, laws there there really aren't any legal restrictions on the university as it relates to travel so we were able to be very very free and and again sort of starting from from scratch asking why why do we have this in, in place why is this a requirement 
And uh, we were able to, to really uh, make things a lot more efficient because we don't have a whole lot of laws governing travel yeah. in, um, in Tennessee. That that won't be true in, in some other cases. So again, like contracts policy, which is fiscal policy for twenty, um, there are many more state laws that okay. that mm-hmm. uh, govern that process. And so that policy will be published very very soon, just a couple of weeks. I think folks, we're not here to talk about that one, but when they see it, it will be easier to read and easier to follow, I believe. But it's not going to be sort of transformational as this one because yeah. we're, we're we're restricted by okay. by state laws. But hey, you took advantage of it where you could, right? Absolutely. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's great. Let me just ask one more time. I think you said this earlier, but just to be clear, people will get a chance to see these changes in concur even before we roll out Dash in, in July of 2024, right? So that's going to be good? Absolutely. And so th- I, I think that with, with some with some folks uh, on, you know, on campuses out there, there was a little bit of an urban legend that uh, we, we were too late into the process yeah. uh, to even effectuate change in Dash and that we were going to be sort of tied to the current travel policy in Dash and sort of for forever. Um, and fortunately, um, that's that's just an urban legend. It's not true. And uh, we will be um, having those changes uh, put into place and concur, be effective June 1st. And I really just want to say there's so much work that went into drafting and, and revising the policies. You know, I don't want to sort of mention everyone out of uh, fear that I'm going to forget to mention someone's name, but the Office of General Counsel and the Accounts Payable Team, and then everyone on the Fiscal Policy Advisory Committee, they were were wonderful. Everyone really put in a tremendous amount of work. We had a lot of support from um, from David Miller, the CFO, Luke Librand, who is the treasurer, and from the chief business officers at each of the budget entities, the mm-hmm. campuses and institutes. And really, you know, everyone really worked together very, very well. The, the process on this one, as it should have, took quite a while. It took probably about six months or so from start to finish to getting a really solid draft ready to move through the uh, the final approval processes. Sure. But this was a great example of collaboration, I think, in the spirit of sort of making the university a more efficient place uh, and uh, eliminating sort of non-value-added steps where we could. That's fantastic. Thank you for bringing that up. Also for squashing rumors. We love squashing yes. rumors. You no, know, it's podcast. good. Yes, we do. <laughs> we, we're all about that here, so that's good. The, the rumors can spread like wildfire, so I'm glad you i'm glad you cleared that one up too well blake this has been great man thank you so much for sitting in here with us you have a wealth of information about this stuff and we appreciate it is there anything else that you would like to share in terms of policy procedures dash any any kind of last words or authoring books or you know jumping out of airplanes i was gonna say i was gonna say the next time you just decide to go skydiving let us know. Let me know so I can be busy that day. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That, that's, a, that's a bucket list item, right? Yeah, that may or may bucket. not ever Right. Happen. I don't know. <laughs> it may might be in my happen. bucket one day. I don't know. Yeah. Right. No, it, well, it's, it's great fun for, for <laughs> anyone who's interested. I would highly recommend it. But um, I, I would just like to probably restate that for, for policies, I think it's easy for any of us, myself included, to sort of fall back on the assumption that well, things are the way they are because they have to be the way they are and that the policy can't change or, or that, um, you know, the university doesn't have flexibility in a certain area. So I really would just encourage folks to reach out to me, ask questions, ask me why. 
Um, and if you're reading a policy and it doesn't make any sense to you or you think that it's outdated, then then please, you know, reach out. Um, don't be shy. Uh, I'm very nice. And so even if I disagree, uh, I, I'm going to be very, very, you know, um, diplomatic and polite in my response to you. Please just reach out. And I really want to hear from end users. Well, one thing that's very, very nice in, in sort of the career uh, trajectory here that I've had at the university I've gotten to see a whole lot of operations. And so I understand contracts, purchasing or procurement, and a lot about sort of that side of the house. I really don't know a whole lot about, you know, a lot of things that uh, departments have to deal with operationally, like invoices or things like that. So I might have to ask some questions if you reach out to me and you say this policy is confusing or um, I feel like that this policy could be worded better or why do we even have this step? I, I might need you to help educate me on on, a, on the uh, sort of the behind the scenes thing. But um, I really just want to encourage people to, to think outside the box and to be sort of uh, brave in terms of asking questions. And that's really a big part of why the role that I'm in was created um, as part of the DASH project is to make sure uh, of a couple of things. One, that our policies are syncing with dash and so mm -hmm. if there's a change mm -hmm. that a procedure needs to be written to match dash then we're gonna now i'm responsible for making sure that that happens on the fiscal side of the policy house and then also just to try to make the processes more effective and more efficient and so sort of through both of those objectives i, I really just want to remind people if you think that we're stuck with a bad practice because policy says a certain thing Maybe we are, maybe we are. So, so please reach out. And then um, thank you both, Kathy and Jonathan. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I've been looking forward it. to talking to you all. So this was really exciting. And I, I do, you know, I, I live in the technical writing world all day long and I, I really enjoy talking about it. And um, I would love feedback on the policy, the travel policy when it comes out. Uh, it'll be, again, out on May 1st. If you have any feedback about the policy webpage, really just any sort of policy-related feedback at all. I doubt anyone's going to read my books. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to write anymore. Um, it's uh, it, The books were about library licensing, both of them. So um, if you're interested in library licensing contracts, then have at it. But, um, it, you know, if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback at all, please just reach out to me and, and and again, I'm, I'm very grateful that you both invited me here today, oh, gave absolutely. me this opportunity. Uh, and, and you guys are doing great work um, with the Dash team and certainly really excited to get into Dash and, and continue to work with you all. And if I can ever be of assistance, I'd love to love to be back. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say that earlier, actually. I was like, hey, you know, we might have to back, have you back for a little repeat yeah, visit I down the road. So. I, think, I think so. I think one thing I was thinking when you were when you were wrapping up there is just that one thing we know about Dash and and we've certainly seen in this conversation that that includes policy and procedures is that's the way we've always done it isn't a good answer anymore, right? Absolutely. Right. We're not, we're not yep. taking that answer anymore. That's so. one of those urban legend answers that we're doing away with. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. certainly from me and Kathy's perspective, from a change management perspective, we know these policies are are great things and the revisions are great things. And we know that people need to be informed. And, and so we will certainly be doing what we can from a change management side to make sure people are aware of, of all the wonderful work you guys are doing and how it's going to affect Dash and how it's going to affect their day-to-day -day job. So certainly. So thanks again, Blake. Kathy, anything you want to say? Yeah, Blake, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. This has been really informative and helpful. And I definitely appreciate your offer to hear feedback and to yes. hear from our end users, even if they have 
have questions or maybe uh, suggestions or I know we and our our listeners appreciate your willingness to make yourself available and that, um, you know, you're interested in, in their feedback. So thank you. All right. Talk to you next time, everybody. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dose of Dash. A big thanks to everyone who helped us make this episode possible. And a big thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in as we pursue this change together. Check back here regularly for new episodes and updates. And please share this podcast with others. Word of mouth can be the best way to help this effort grow, and it's a great way to keep our Friends of Dash informed. Be sure to visit our Friends of Dash site for more information and resources. You should see the link in the About section for this podcast. Do you have a Dash question you would like answered? Please email it to dash at tennessee.edu. You never know. It just might show up on this podcast. Talk Talk to to you you soon. soon.